0: Hello, I'm Lieutenant Governor Juliana Stratton, and I lead the Justice, Equity, and Opportunity Initiative. Welcome to my podcast series, Walk, Listen, Learn, Our Journey to Justice. Why a podcast? Well, I wanted to combine three things I love, walking, listening, and learning, as the title suggests. I'm also passionate about people and finding engaging ways to discuss issues. So thanks for joining me. On this episode, we'll be talking about sentencing and understanding the impact it has on our communities of color. And my guest today is Senator L.G. Sims. Senator Sims is a Democratic member of the Illinois State Senate, representing the 17th Senate District. He is a member of the Illinois Legislative Black Caucus and the chairman of the Illinois Senate Criminal Law Committee, where he is leading efforts to reform our justice system. Senator Sims is also of counsel at the law firm of Foley and Lardner, and I am so pleased to be able to call him my friend. We served together in the Illinois House of Representatives prior to his going to the Senate, and I'm so glad to have this conversation with you. Welcome, Senator Sims.
1: Thank you, Lieutenant Governor. It's always a pleasure to be with you, Uh, and thanks for having this uh, very timely discussion.
0: It is a timely discussion. Uh, I think that's probably the best way we could describe it because you have been working on these issues around criminal justice reform for as long as I've known you. And then this summer hit with the murder of George Floyd and the protest around not just George Floyd, but Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and so many others. And I think what happened is we started to hear this conversation about justice go beyond policy makers and the advocates who have been working on this for a long time to being a conversation that was being had at dinner tables, not just in big cities, but in small towns throughout the state. You know that people became very curious. They wanted to talk about it. They wanted to explore these issues and were crying out really for justice reform. We saw that same energy across the nation, every one of the 50 states, as well as around the globe. I would be really curious to know how this kind of has impacted you personally, if you don't mind my asking. Uh, As someone who has been doing this work as a legislator, I know you probably have approached some of these issues as a lawyer. What did this summer mean to you?
1: It It was very personal. Um, you know, as as, as an African American man who's grown up my, li- my my entire life on the South Side of the city of Chicago, mm-hmm. these these issues were personal to me. Uh, you know, I, my family is from the South, so you know, I, having that having that experience also. Yep. But then, you know, what I got a chance to see in this moment was how the 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 allyship in so many people with, with so many people, and how individuals really at their core wanted a better. Country, they wanted a better community. Yeah, uh, you know, so I was I was very proud, as you mentioned, you know, of counsel at uh, law firm of Foley and Lardner. I was very proud of our firm. Uh, we, as a, as all of the issues were happening throughout the summer, m- many of us came together and we wanted to talk about how how we could, how we could help. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was encouraged by the voices, not just the black attorneys, but the white attorneys also, and how we could all we, we could all be allies together and how they could how we can support each other. Uh, The firm created a racial justice and equity practice group Mm -hmm. uh, where we are working on a number of initiatives, including criminal justice reform. We're trying to work on uh, some model legislation. I have some amazing associates and partners uh, who are working on this endeavor with me, uh, working on Voter Rights Act, uh, voter voter protection, et cetera. Uh, it's It's been amazing work. But even you know, some of the my colleagues across the country. I was very encouraged by uh, the American Bar Association held mm-hmm. a a 21 day racial healing course. Really, that I participated in. It was and to, to be able to have some very candid conversations with uh, attorneys who did not look like you and I mm-hmm. uh, from around the country, and they were and and the, and the questions really were they they wanted to know and they wanted to understand. And you know, I, what I, I felt in that moment was the empathy that they had and because it, you know, it, it was, it, even though we were socially distanced and these, was, these were all virtual meetings, you could feel the authenticity uh, sure. coming from those individuals. So I, this has been, it has been an amazing uh, journey. It certainly not over, mm-hmm. uh, but one that I'm glad we are on.
0: Yeah. I, I think what you just described is just sort of how everyone had to kind of find their place in this work. Um, that this quest for justice, there were many people that Perhaps for the first time, their eyes were opened up, and they realized that, you know, their experience might have been very different from your experience, even though you all are doing the same work. And mm-hmm. this is the time to come together. You spoke of allyship. And I think that's really important to understand what role you play, but please play a role. That's right. Don't just sit on the side. That's exactly right. You know, I know that um, we're talking today about sentencing. And in one of our previous episodes, we talked about bail reform. um, And we discussed the process for people after getting arrested and charged with an offense. And when we discuss sentencing, and for those who just perhaps may be tuning in for the first time, I know that there's often some confusion around the differences between what it means to be charged with an offense, what it means to be convicted and what it means to be sentenced can you just take a few moments to just briefly explain the difference
1: absolutely you know <clears throat> when you're when an individual is charged that's a that's a formal accusation that uh, by the authorities that the accused has committed a specific crime mm-hmm. it does not mean they are guilty it doesn't mean they are charged it means they're out the the, the they're leveling leveling, leveling uh, charges against the individuals, just so to say, whether well, or not you're guilty or innocence. That's that you will have to figure out that in a court of law. It's you. All, you we always hear that uh, people go before a judge and have a jury, a trial by jury, of their peers. Uh, so that's when that happens. So uh,
0: saying you've been charged. That's right. That's all it means that it's, there is an uh
1: it's a, it's a it's a it's an accusation against you. It does yep. not mean you're guilty. Yep. Does not mean you're you know that you that you've done something, but it does mean that there is a there's a charge level against you. Mm-hmm. And what and the outcome that happens after the trial. Okay. And that's what happens when after the conviction. So okay. if, after the trial, you there is a trial, um, uh, whether that be a trial by a jury or a trial by a judge, uh charges are leveled against someone and you they're found guilty or innocent.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And if they are if they are found guilty, they're convicted. So Mm -hmm. they are convicted of the allegations. It could be uh, something as uh, class X would be, which would be a murder or or class or class one, which is or class four, which is a which is a lower lower level felony or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then then comes the sentencing phase. So it depends on on the crime that the person is convicted of. It could be something. Um, any a felony conviction is anything uh, or a year or more, where it could be a year or more in prison, so it could range from a year to life in prison.
0: So if someone is convicted of a felony, that typically has a sentence that is a year or more in prison. Uh,
1: it, absolutely, it, it, could, it could be it could be a year or more in prison. That's right. Okay,
0: if someone is convicted of a misdemeanor, that's usually less than a less year. less than one year. That's okay, right. and then I think just the other th- point, just to kind of put a period there, is that when you are accused or charged that could be a time that you are in a county jail uh,
1: you that is absolutely right because so you're
0: awaiting trial
1: you're awaiting trial so individuals who are in county jails across the state of illinois they have not been convicted they are waiting for uh they're waiting for their day, their day in court uh and, and that that oftentimes People are sitting in county jails because they can't afford to get out. So one of your previous topics, talking about bail reform, there are some individuals who are sitting in county county jails across the state because Mm -hmm. they can't afford to get out. And that's one of the reasons we passed the Bail Reform Act of 2017, which you and I worked on together when we were in the House together. Uh, to, was to try to figure out a way to move Illinois away from using cash bail. Right. Uh, so you, an individual should not be incarcerated just because they're poor. Mm-hmm. If you are. If you you should be incapacitated and in, in, You should be incapacitated because you're a threat to public safety, not because you're not because you can't have you have the inability to pay.
0: Yeah, and then when you talk about being convicted specifically of a felony, that's when we would see people in here in Illinois. Our Illinois Department of Corrections. Corrections or a prison system that's anywhere right. in this that's, country. That's
1: absolutely right. So once the conviction happens, an individual then goes into the Department of Corrections and they're incarcerated for the period of their of their of their sentence.
0: Okay. So then let's talk a little bit about sentencing reform because I know that this is something as I said in the opening that you have been very passionate about and that you have dedicated much of your career to and I know that you served on the previous governor's sentencing commission to really help develop some bipartisan recommendations about sentencing. So why have you been drawn to this work around sentencing reform as a legislator?
1: Well, for, for me, it's, it really is a, an issue of equity because in, in every individual should have the same opportunities when they, when they walk into a courtroom. Uh, I certainly... It, there is no does not make sense to me that we would have individuals incarcerated at the rate that you see black black and brown people incarcerated. You know black people in the state of Illinois are 14 percent of the population, but 55 percent of the state's prison population. If that were any other circumstance or situation, that would be uh, in, in, in a crisis a crisis situation. Uh, so I to me there we've got to address and figure out how we address the underlying issues of why, what the, what the causes of that is. Uh, so if an indiv- individuals are four times, six times more likely, an African-American individual is six times more likely to be incarcerated than their white counterpart, their white neighbors, why aren't we addressing the circumstances and situations that led to that? Mm-hmm. Because there, there are ev- no, there's evidence that shows black people are no more likely to commit crime but they are more likely to have a different experience when they enter the justice system. So we have to address that.
0: And so, one thing that I would be curious about, someone might ask, well, is that an issue on the front end with policing, or is that an issue on the back end with sentencing, or is that across the board? You have to look at every point that someone might enter the justice system. It's a
1: com- uh, to me, it's a combination of both. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, we. You have to address the because I, I don't. I don't. I'm not. A, I don't automatically. Uh, assume that individuals have to be incarcerated. I, I believe that there are ways to interrupt that uh, that 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 pipeline from from the community experience into the into the prison. Uh, so right. how do we how do we how do we interrupt that system how do we create opportunities on the front end mm-hmm. uh, so that we don't have individuals being incarcerated on the back and cons- and conversely as an indivi- if after an individual, Goes into uh, the Illinois Department of Corrections, or if they even if they never enter the Illinois Department of Corrections, but they have been convicted of a crime, now they then have a record.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How do we then ensure that that individual, even though they've made the one mistake, they are not locked into a condition for the rest of their lives? Uh, right. Because our Constitution says very clearly. That an individual should be punished based on the seriousness of the crime, but also on their ability to be rehabilitated and return to their fullest usefulness, and I, I don't I don't understand how the two never meet, and that that is where I, and I'm I'm proud of them, the work that you and I have done together. Mm-hmm. both when we were in the House together, but also since you have been Lieutenant Governor, Mm -hmm. to talk about how we are going to adjust and correct this system and deal with uh, our criminal justice system through this equity lens so that we are incapacitating individuals who are a threat to public safety. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and not just because they're poor or they have a mental health challenge or they have a substance abuse problem.
0: Yeah, I, I really like the way that you describe that as like this point where that can meet about also considering the rehabilitation and how people change. Mm -hmm. There was a a quote, and I know I'm not going to get it right, from Brian Stevenson who talked about um, we need to recognize that who people were is not always who they are and that there's some evolution that takes place in people, or it should Mm -hmm. when we talk about sentencing. Mm -hmm. So who a person is at the day one of their sentencing, and then you look 10 years later, and they're often very different people, and we should take that into consideration in our criminal justice system.
1: Absolutely, and you know, we we're, we often have the discussion, or you hear the discussion of opponents to reform who say, "Well, victims' rights should be taken into consideration." But then you have con- you have conversations with victims, and they would say to you. It, I, I'm not seeking retribution. I am seeking rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. I want the individual to be a better person. I don't want this to happen to another family or to another person. And that's what our criminal justice system should look like. Yeah, it should be. It should look like we are focused on making people better. You know, we, you know, we, we send people into the Department of Corrections, but we never correct the behavior. They go into the correction, the, into our correctional facilities, but they are not better. If they are not better when they come out, then we fail them.
0: Yeah, and we spend a lot of money as taxpayers with not a great return on investment if you have a recidivism rate that's at about 50% or so. That's right. Um, So I I love that concept of really kind of thinking about what does it mean holistically and are people better? Mm -hmm. And I like that you talked about that question because that does come up all the time from a standpoint of, well, what about victims' rights? One of the things that I've learned as a restorative justice practitioner, which is something that we've talked about in the podcast almost every every single episode, is that statement that hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And what that really means to me in this conversation is sometimes we don't recognize that even the people who are incarcerated, they have also suffered trauma and mm-hmm. hurt, that likely led to whatever that activity was that caused them to harm someone else. And so if we're going to really look about look at reforming the system there are victims yes of that incident that led that person to be incarcerated but you can bet that that person who's incarcerated has also been a victim. They're often the same. That's right. So we have to recognize that and think about trauma informed approaches to that.
1: Well, that and that's that's why I am so proud of the work that we have been doing uh, and the conversations we've been having with the Senate's Criminal Law Committee, mm-hmm. the Special Committee on Public Safety, and, and 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 our colleagues with the House Judiciary Criminal Committee, we've been having these discussions uh, on various topics the, related to the criminal justice process, and we just we talked about we just got got done talking about some of these topics also, uh, and how trauma leads to individuals doing 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 things that hurt people. Yeah, and you know one of the we had some victims. Uh, victims rights advocates on uh on the on the one of our one of our previous hearings and they talked about that hmm. each one of them who had been victims of gun violence the the perpetrators of the of their of the of the, of the shooting were also uh victims, victims. themselves yeah. so that trauma resonates and it and it causes people to do things that they might not never they might may never do uh and that you know you you talked about uh, Mr. Stevenson, mm-hmm. who is who has done he has he has done some amazing work, and as you and I know, he he visited with us last summer when we hosted the Council of State Governments uh, mm-hmm. conference here, and to hear him talk about the work that he had done and the trauma that he's that he experienced in some of his clients, I think it opened it opened a lot of eyes.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I I know that you talked about this commission. So you were on the previous governor's commission Mm -hmm. around sentencing reform and criminal justice reform. What did you learn about the system? And you talked about the disparities and how those numbers, how it just doesn't add up that you have a population of 14 percent African-American, but the prison population in the state of Illinois is closer to what did you say? 55 55%. Mm percent. Were there other things that just struck you that you learned from that work?
1: You know, I think uh, we have some misconceptions that we have built into uh, the work of criminal justice. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there are oftentimes assumptions made about individuals who are in this system. First, that that they come to the system as whole people. Which you and I just talked about, they don't come to the system as whole people. That's right. They are, they are, they are, they are. Oftentimes, you know, you, you talk about folks getting a second chance after they get out of, uh, out, after they get out of the Department of Corrections, or after they after they've been sentenced, et cetera. When oftentimes they never had a first chance. You know, they, they never got the educational they got the educational experience that some of their neighbors got. Yeah. They never had the home life that some of the other people had. They never had the economic opportunities that some others okay. had. Uh, so they were, oftentimes they, ne- they didn't have the first chance. Uh, so, you, you know, dealing with those misconceptions. Then it's also dealing with what, what, what the system is designed to do. Uh, you know, the system is not designed only to house, but it's supposed to be there to rehabilitate. If in our state's constitutions calls for someone to be returned to their fullest usefulness, then at what point do we invest in that individual to make sure that they have the, economic, the educational opportunities, mm-hmm. the economic opportunities, deal with the substance abuse or the mental health challenges that they have? At what point do we then return that person to their fullest usefulness if they were never given the opportunities on the first place?
0: Right. And
1: that's, you know, we, we talked a lot about that in the commission. Um, I, I thought... Uh, and I have introduced legislation uh, that came from that commission. I I thought then I and I still believe now that there was a tremendous opportunity for our previous governor to show some bipartisanship and to demonstrate some leadership, which I think he missed an opportunity uh, because you know there there were there are some who who do not want to see the system reformed mm-hmm. for whatever reasons those ones might be. Maybe they, maybe they believe that. It, it, an individual kind of they, those tough on, crime. tough on crime, The tough on crime moniker is something that mm-hmm. they should they should live live up to. There are some who, you know, there they uh, there may be some pecuniary reasons for them. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, but there are some folks who are opposed to to reform,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and when that happens, that gets in the way of us being able to approve the system. So there were some challenges uh, that uh, we we never we did not finish that work. But to me. That work continues. So I've I've introduced legislation that we continue to work on. And before the pandemic hit, you and I and the governor and uh, Representative Slogger and some of the other Mm -hmm. leaders in the General Assembly were working on some of this work to 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 improve the state's criminal justice system. And we 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 have we have a very broad agenda uh, and we've got a lot of work doing. We're
0: going to get it done. Absolutely. Well, I, you you just mentioned some of the work that you and I have done, along with Governor Pritzker, and of course, uh, the with the leadership of the Illinois Legislative Black Caucus, and and some of this work is around what we say is making the sentencing laws more modern, mm-hmm. um, and I I like to think of them as being more humane, and that kind of goes back to what you were saying, like understanding the people that this system is touching, and what does that mean for them and their families? So making the laws more modern really kind of brings up this, conjures up this idea of that there are these outdated laws that were created at a time when there was a sp- specific kind of view about what needs to happen with our justice system, that sort of tough on crime, and bringing it to a more modern time is something that you've really been advocating, specifically as it relates to drug laws and our theft laws. Why those two areas in particular, drug laws and theft laws, that why do we need to modernize them? What needs to be different?
1: Sure. Well, you know, let me take a step back for just a second. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, had, we had these truth and sentencing laws that came about in the early 90s, and they really they came about because the federal government had a prison uh, construction program but in order to tap into the funds, you had to pass these truth and sentencing laws that would say an individual would have to serve 70, 85, 90% of their sentence. And it didn't lead to more public safety.
0: Senator, let me interrupt you. Mm-hmm? As opposed to what? So now truth and sentencing, you have to serve 75, 80, 85% of your sentence. What was happening before then?
1: Well, you, there were, before then, You, you, there were... Efforts made at in making sure individuals were rehabilitated before they went into the system, making sure they 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 got the treatment they needed before they got the, they went into the system. You know, I, I read something uh, recently there was a quote from uh, former President Carter, mm-hmm. and he was he said he, he were he and the governor the governor of Florida and the governor of Arkansas who were all Democrats they would they would compete to see how low. Their prison populations were. Oh wow! As opposed to how high their prison populations were, now but then you had this this uh, this move towards mass inca- towards truth and sentencing laws and all the other massing uh, all the other uh, remnants of mass incar- the causes of mass incarceration, and it didn't lead to any more public safer community. It, it, it certainly so, not. So before
0: the truth and sentencing laws, and you said that you would look at whether a person was rehabilitated. Mm-hmm. That means that at least if I'm interpreting it correctly, it's not, well, you have to serve X number of percentage of your sentence. It's when we look at you and we see what you have done and the changes that you have made, that could qualify for saying, now is the time, and constantly reevaluating, is the person being rehabilitated? That's exactly right. And that would have been the focus. So truth and sentencing says, no, we're not gonna give you that sort of subjective based upon, it's gonna be very objective You must serve this amount of time. And when you have that many people doing it, that means people aren't coming in or out, Mm -hmm. or uh, people are just staying for longer periods
1: of time. There's no no incentive for you to go into treatment when you're incarcerated. There's no no incentive for you to go into uh, educational. Uh, programming why you're while you're incarcerated. Yeah. You are you are you are incarcerated and you are just being housed. Yeah. And taxpayers are paying for you to just be housed and not be rehabilitated. Right. And that does not lead to a, a a better community. And then of course you had the difference between the different differing levels of as you as we talk specifically about drug policy, you had you had different different levels of crime for different for different drugs, even though they were the same drug. Like but what? Pow- crack versus crack versus powder co- cocaine. Right. The sentences were very different so same, could, substance, same substance different form just a different form and you could get 5 years for the, the possession of a, a, an, a an ounce or gram of, of, of crack of crack cocaine and 500 500 grams you couldn't get you could you could you of, of powder cocaine you have to you, you have to have 500 grams to get the same type of sentence for powder cocaine and it just made no absolutely no sense so and
0: that had, also led to the re- racial disparities that you talked about earlier as well
1: absolutely so as you and as you see in looking Illinois prison population the the vast majority of individuals who are incarcerated the particularly the black individuals who are incarcerated are there for drug offenses. They're not there for murder or crime, or murder or, or armed robbery or rape. They're, the vast majority of them are there for drug offenses, which again, if there are no, we have not focused on the educational opportunities in a community, the economic opportunities in a community, this the mental health challenge that ex, that exists. We've not addressed health the underlying care healthcare. Is a poll, yeah, uh, that, that's right. We, we have if we've not addressed any of the other underlying circumstances, but then we you know it, we have we have asked someone to then be be whole without feeding anything into them or providing opportunities for them to to be to be whole that Mm -hmm. that it's it it is it is the very it is is uh, is un unbelievable that we would ask people to try to be to 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 have all of the opportunities that other people have without ever having the experience that people have had to get there
0: and it and it's also i kind of saw this sort of circular you know I'm living, uh, I don't have access to those opportunities. We don't have all the things we need. My community has been disinvested in and I've experienced trauma, Mm -hmm. you know, whether that's from seeing violence or whatever else the trauma may be. And instead of, it sounds like what you're saying from a drug standpoint. So if somebody decides, so then I, uh, have a substance use disorder, but I'm not given the opportunity to get treatment for that. I'm sent to prison. Mm -hmm where there may also not be anything to deal with my substance use disorder.
1: And for us, and if we believe that individuals do not get substances when they are incarcerated, we're fooling ourselves. Mm. Because there are still, and still, people still get the the illegal substances when they're incarcerated. Mm -hmm. You know, I I heard uh, one of my colleagues say, well, that's the only, oftentimes, the only way we can force someone into treatment is to incarcerate them. That is the absolute, that is absolute backwards thinking. You don't incarcerate someone because they have an illness. You you treat the illness, and the the crime is a symptom of the illness. Right. You so you treat the illness first. Oh. You don't you don't incarcerate the individual because of it.
0: That's good. That's good. And what about theft laws? Like <laughs> I, how do that that doesn't you know people? I think there are a lot of people who can see about the drug laws mm-hmm. and say no people should get treatment. What about the theft laws? It, how it, does, it, should that be modernized?
1: It's, it's the it's the same it's the same thing. We Illinois has one of the lowest retail theft thresholds in the country.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, tell, tell us what you mean by that the, when you so say the when, lowest so threshold. When you,
1: if, you were, if, an, if an individual were to go into Target and steal, uh, the, the, the limit right now is $350 in Illinois. So if someone were to go into Target and steal an iPhone, they just committed a felony. Mm-hmm. So if you have a 16, 17, 18, 21-year-old young person who we all know young people are not, they have not matured mentally by that age, so they do things that are reckless. They may go into a Target or some other store, Best Buy, you name it, uh, and they, they steal steal an iPhone, thinking, thinking it's funny. They just committed a felony. That, that may have changed the course of that young person's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there was, uh, I remember uh, there was a, a, a situation when we were in the Illinois house uh, serving on the Judiciary Committee together, and we were talking about this issue, and I remember a situation where um, the uh, C- Cook County Sheriff Tom Dart he sent he shared with us a number of profiles of mm. individuals uh, who were locked up in Cook County Jail uh, because of, specifically for for retail theft crime. so stealing something less less than three hundred fifty dollars or less. There was a, there was one instance that uh, was recounted to us, and it was a case where a, a woman who was pregnant, who had who suffered from a mental illness, she had stolen from a corner store. She stole uh, a couple of plums and a Snickers. Mm. The store owner, when the police got there, the police store owner caught her. The store owner then called the police. Police came. The officer. Then even said to the to the store owner, sir, do you really want this person arrested? Store owner said, yes, I've got to teach her a lesson. Officer offered to pay for the the, the items. The store owner said refuse. No, I want her locked up. As I mentioned, she was pregnant. She's pregnant. She's poor. She's homeless. She said she stayed in county jail the child the, the, the baby was born the child was born in county jail i think she stayed in county jails upwards of 300 days so that's 300 300 days at 160 60 per day mm-hmm. plus the health care and all, all, all the other things and where was the where was the 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 safety and wh- how was the benefit Where was the benefit to taxpayers for incarcerating that individual as opposed to addressing her home her issues of homelessness? Her issues related to her mental her mental health, her issues related to her healthcare. What, where, how are we more safe by incarcerating individuals like that, as opposed to addressing the underlying issues?
0: Right, and then knowing that that was generational because mm-hmm. she had a child mm-hmm. who was born while her mother was behind bars, and I think that really that's a a, a really powerful example of why this question of sentencing has to be a part of it. Like Mm -hmm. we've talked about what happens on the front end, but we have to talk about sentencing. And, you know, I know that you talked about these um, truth and sentencing laws and you've explained what they mean. Um, What would you say is kind of as we close out, um, you know, how these truth and sentencing laws have really impacted our justice-involved um, population, and also just like what you are looking to, if you are able to give us a little kind of sneak preview of what's what, is, what are, what's kind of the work that needs to be done that you're working on around truth and sentencing?
1: Well, I think making sure, and going back to the term of modernization, mm-hmm. uh, many of the states who passed these two truth and sentencing laws in the past have understand that they didn't lead to increased public safety. They led to the explosion and and contributed to the mass incarceration problem. So making sure that uh, we we work on a system that understands the community, not only that we are, but the community we're trying to be. Mm. And I think that that's important. We don't want to have a situation where uh, individuals can they, they once they, they they have the act they are limited by where they're trying where they can go after the act happens we want a community and I, and I, I whether whether you are a democrat republican chicago downstate wherever you want a community where everybody is safe you That's want right. you want to you want to raise your children uh, you want your children to be do better than you did uh, you want you want the same opportunities that everyone else has, and that's really what the what we're, the reforms we're working on mm. work towards. We they're not the reforms we're working on aren't in a vacuum. We you you if we see so you got you've got to address the criminal justice reform commission criminal justice reform issues, but you've also got to address the issues of healthcare and education and economic opportunities and all of those things so all of those things go hand in hand. Uh, so those are those are the items we're working on because if you are if you are housing insecure as we mentioned with that that young lady I was just talking about, or you are you are healthcare insecure or you have a trauma in your background or you have no economic you have no educational background you have no economic opportunities then you are you are limited mm-hmm. and if once we remove those barriers, it's not just good for one community' it's good for everybody right. when if, if when when the black community the thri- black community succeeds everyone thrives mm-hmm. and that's really what these discussions are about It's about making sure that we reform the criminal justice system we reform and eliminate barriers to opportunities for uh, for everyone so that everyone can thrive so that Illinois is for all 13 million of us, all 13 million Illinoisans have the same opportunities, We're all, and we are all moving in the same direction, which is progressing.
0: I often say as a part of the Justice, Equity, and Opportunity initiative that you can't have justice without equity and opportunity. And I think that what you just spoke um, struck me as well, and it might be something that I will talk about more, that this work is not just about the community that we are. Mm-hmm. It is the community that we want to be. Senator L.G. Sims, thank you for walking, listening, and learning with me.
1: Thank you so much, Lieutenant Governor. It has been a pleasure and it is always an honor to be with you.
0: Thank you for joining us. That's it for this episode of Walk, Listen, Learn, our journey to justice. Until next time, I'm Lieutenant Governor Juliana Stratton. Thank you for walking listening and learning with me. Let's stay on this path towards justice, equity and opportunity for all.